And um, we're going to be in a series talking about what um, is the redeemed life. What, what does the redeemed life look like? What does it look like? What does it mean for um, a life to be touched by God, changed by God through the work of um, His Son, and for that to really affect every single aspect of our lives? And um, I really do believe that um, we need to, as the church and as individuals, get a picture of the totality of what God um, has accomplished through His Son and what He wants to accomplish and do in our lives. And uh, so today we're going to sort of jump into that, and this is sort of a primer intro message to um, this series on redeemed living. And I, I really hope that um, over the next few weeks we will together begin to get a vision for the way um, God... Um, his sacrifice, what he has done through his son, really has day-to-day, moment-by-moment practical implications in this place for you as students and in your relationships, in your work, in all of it. And so um, today, um, I want to look at specifically um, the work of the cross. And I want to ask this question, what was accomplished through Jesus's sacrifice on the cross. Exactly what is the extent of that work? And what does it mean for us? And uh, we're we're not going to get into that in totality, but I, I guess the short of it, and what I want if you don't get anything else today, for us to sort of get a, a grasp of, is that it's way bigger than we think. Meaning, what God accomplished through the Son when He sent Him here, um, when He put on flesh, when He walked as a man, and He lived out this perfect life, and eventually He goes to a cross, and He hangs there in our place, and He takes the sin of the world on Himself, the punishment for that sin, and He is buried, but He doesn't stay there, and and He rises from the grave. The totality of that act, what what is it for? What has it accomplished? And I want to say that it has accomplished something way bigger than we think. So much bigger than we think. Um, and when we think about what Jesus has done on the cross, the question is, what has the, that moment accomplished? And I think a lot of times we've been taught in the church that... Um, that the cross and the work of God through Jesus was a work that brought forgiveness of sins and that have uh, brought an eternal security, meaning um, that we, um, through Jesus, can be forgiven and we can be one with God and uh, eventually um, get to heaven. That's sort of the um, simple um, Sunday school um, version of the story. Um, Many of us have even been taught with that, that um, it's not just that, but it's about relationship with God, um, both when we see him face to face and here and now. And I want to say that all of those things are true, but all of those things are just part of a much bigger truth. Um, If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians 1. Colossians 1. I believe this passage really answers for us and gives us the scope of 
the work of Christ on the cross and just how far-reaching it is. Um, Colossians 1, we're going to start in verse 13 through verse 23, and it says this. It says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I want you to focus on that word, redemption. Verse 15, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Say all things. things. Say it again. All things. One more time. Remember that phrase, okay? All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Come on, you guys can be a little more enthusiastic with me, all right? This is good stuff. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead. So that in everything, he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I love um, the message, the way it, it sort of rephrases, rewords this last part. It says, the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. That's sort of a very artistic um, rendering of that portion, but I like it. It's, it, it's colorful. Um, and, and so we see here, he's saying, Um, this work that Jesus did on the cross that God did through the Son, it is for all things. It goes on to say, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body. Pay attention to that word, reconciled. Two words, redeemed, reconciled. Through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, establish and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you've heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. That, that last part is pretty interesting. He's telling us that, in fact, um, the God who made everything is redeeming everything. And then he has come with a message of that redemption, which is the good news, the gospel. And that message is being proclaimed or preached to every creature. <laughs> every creature, all of creation. That's kind of interesting. I don't know what that looks like for God to preach to um, the, the trees and the rocks and uh, the animals and those things. Um, but that's what it says here, actually, is that this message has been proclaimed to everything, all of creation. Pretty wild. And the center of that is you and I. But this message and the work of the cross is actually for all of creation. 
I don't know about you, but for me, I, I, I never really thought about it that way. Colossians gives us this um, comprehensive perspective of what God has done and is doing through the Son. And I want to talk about the implications of that. Um, first, I want to focus on two words that he um, mentions here and what they mean for us. And I think they're central to this work of Christ. The first word is redemption. Redemption, very simply, is the action of regaining or buying back something. Making a payment in exchange, clearing a debt. The act of buying back something or paying a price to return something as your possession. That's redemption. Reconciliation. What is reconciliation? That big word simply means a restoring of relationship to its rightful place. If two people were in an argument, in a fight, and maybe they said, we don't want to talk to each other anymore, reconciliation looks like, in fact, not only saying, you know what, I forgive you, um, I was wrong, whatever you have to do to get over that um, divide, but it's actually being brought back to before that argument ever happened. That would be to reconcile that relationship. And so the work of Christ is a redeeming work. It's a purchasing or a buying back and at the center of that is humanity being bought bought back bought back from our sin forgiven of that sin but there's another part and they go hand in hand redemption is directly connected to reconciliation and through christ god is not only doing a redeeming work meaning forgiving trespasses and and um removing brokenness, but at the same time, it's so that he can do a reconciling work, which is to restore relationship, to bring back into right um, design what God has um, created for himself. Um, You guys follow me? Got that? Okay. So I want to say that, in fact, the scope of creation itself is all things, meaning God, he he, he spoke it all into existence, all of creation. Um, and at the center of that was humanity. And over all those things, he said it was good, it was good, it was good. And with humanity, he, he made a special distinction as he put his image in us. He says, it's very good. So the, the scope of creation was all things. The scope of the fall was all things. We see that humanity... Um, at the center of this, rebels against God, and there is this fall, there is this um, breaking of relationship as it was intended to be between um, creator and created, between us and God. And we're told that, that the effects of the fall actually had effects of, on all of creation. It says the ground was cursed as a result of the fall. So the scope of the fall is all things. And I want to say that with that, when, when God was initiating this plan, actually before um, any of that ever happened, it says from the creation of the world, um, that, that he already had this plan in action for his son to redeem it. The redemption, the scope of redemption is all things. 
That's pretty much everything. You guys got that? It's everything, okay? So I, I just want us to, to really let that sink in, that the work that God has done and is doing is comprehensive. And I believe that's so important for us because we need to actually embrace the comprehensive nature. And I'm going to talk about some ways that we can do that. And in the coming weeks, we're going to look at some specific areas in our lives that we can embrace um, the comprehensive nature of redemption through Christ. Am I losing anyone yet? You guys with me? Okay, let's keep moving, all right? Um, This quote, I think, sort of sums it up. N.T. Wright, he says this, To put it bluntly, creation is to be redeemed. That is, space is to be redeemed. Time is to be redeemed. Matter is to be redeemed. The purpose of redemption is not simply to usher human souls off to some heavenly existence for all eternity. It is to restore that which God redeemed very good in Genesis 1. So that's the picture, and that's what Colossians is making known to us is actually the purpose and the full extent of Christ's work. So, um, where do we want to go with this? So this work through Christ is um, comprehensive. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? Um, 2 Corinthians 5 says this. It says um, in verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Um, for, for some of you, that's a very familiar verse. The old is gone, the new has come. That sounds great. But actually, um, it kind of it keeps going, and there's sort of a picture of what that looks like. In verse 18, it says, All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is that ministry? Verse 19, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Redemption is the forgiveness of sins. And the reconciliation comes when that is no longer in the way. And that's the ministry that Christ came with. And you see it when he walked the earth. He, he, he finds himself in the most unlikely of places. He finds himself with the most unlikely of people. And he's declaring this message that indeed God has not forgotten you. He's not overlooked you. And in fact, he loves you and he wants to redeem your life. That's, that's, in essence, what Christ comes and begins to do. And so many, um, they kind of see that and they, for one reason or another, they, they've underestimated the scope of God's reach into humanity and what he's wanting to redeem, who he's wanting to redeem. And so that looks very foreign to them and it's confusing to them. And in fact, the religious people of the day who should have understand that, in fact, that was God's heart, they were upset and offended and um, wanted nothing to do with Christ in those things, ironically. Christ came with this ministry of reconciliation, and we're told in this passage that we've been given the same ministry. We've been given the same call. That's pretty amazing. Romans 8 talks about our connection as well to this redemptive work of God. And it says this in verse 19, it says, For the creation waits in eager expectation. For who? Not for God, but for the children of God to be revealed. 
For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Why is that important, and how does it connect with um, this realization that the work of Christ is comprehensive. I want to say it's important because as we realize um, that God has done this work and that the, the scope of that work is beyond just our own, um, our own lives and our own eternal security and our own forgiveness, we, we began to get a vision that actually, indeed, God is inviting us to be a part of that redemptive work. I want to say that if you're here and you've, you've said yes to the work of God in your life already, you've actually said yes to being a part of that same redemption all around you. Does that make sense? And if you're going to be a part of it, then you have to begin to see what it looks like. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of Um, these areas that I believe that we so need to get a vision for how God is and wants to redeem our lives and redeem the place he's put us. Um, And I want to say that in that he wants to redeem your your thought life, the way that you think about things, the way that you see things. He wants to redeem your time here at Hopkins, the work that you do and how you do it, the interactions that you have with people, the relationships that you're already forming. Um, He wants to redeem the relationships that you already have with your family and friends and coworkers. You name it. He wants to redeem all of it. And so it's one thing to say yes to that, but it's another thing to actually know what it would look like for you to actually engage and be a part of that. And so we're going to talk about that. Um, Today, I just want to look at two things. And uh, if acknowledging the scope of God's work is the first part, I think we also at the same time, if we're going to participate with them, we're going to be a part of this redemptive work on earth, um, we need to begin to acknowledge ways that maybe we've already set boundaries for how God can work and in who God is working or how God isn't working or where he can't um, do things. Does that make sense? And I believe, in fact, that um, in our minds we've actually created boundaries and boxes for God, all of us. Um, we've created some place, um, something that we've said, um, I know God is big, and I know his work is comprehensive, um, but I, I, I can't see how it would show up in this area of my life. Either it's a blank uh, spot, or we, in fact, we've said um, something has been a certain way for so long that um, I can't ever see it changing. And, and in those things, we've actually um, underestimated the comprehensive work of Christ. Um, so I want to look at two ways in which we, we may actually um, be sort of um, doing that in our lives, creating boundaries and boxes for God and, and how we can actually move those things so that we might actually see God work in, in, in areas and ways that um, we haven't yet seen or can't even imagine. Um, anybody want to see God work in a way that you've yet seen or you can't even imagine? Five of you. All right. Okay. I guarantee you, all of you do. You might just not know it yet. So I want to look at two specific things, and then we're going to kind of wrap up here. 
Um, the first thing I think way that I think we underestimate this comprehensive work of God is, is in our ability and need to sort of compartmentalize and segment our lives. Um, in particular, our lives with God. I, I think um, the church has really um, undermined this comprehensive nature of God's work in, in the sense that we've, we've begun to um, sort of identify, well, this is of God and this isn't of God. Um, g- this is secular and this is sacred or, or Christian. We, we create labels for things that, that are not helpful for beginning to see how God's redemptive work actually can and will change those things. Does that make sense? We've, I believe, um, created assumptions about what is spiritual and what is unspiritual. And as soon as we do that, we actually, we limit God in that area of our lives. Some of you think this is spiritual. And Monday, you could come back to the same room for a lecture. All of a sudden, you're not here for worship anymore. I don't think that's how it's supposed to be. This can and is meant to be spiritual. It's supposed to be worship, but so is Monday morning. Do you realize that? So is Monday morning. So is tonight when maybe some of you are cramming for something for Monday morning. And as soon as you segment that this is spiritual and that isn't, you've already limited God. You've already underestimated what he can do in your life. What's so interesting to see is how Jesus, in in fact, he breaks down so many of these barriers. That's why they were so offended with him. Because it was like, no, no, no. You can't be with the unclean. You can't be with the broken. Because, in fact, um, God is not working there. And, And those people were in for a big surprise. Because God was actually... Right in their midst. In the Old Testament, here's what we see. When God is present, even the most ordinary of things, even the most ordinary of things, like the dirt that we walk on, become declared holy. You know the story? Moses going up the mountain, and God is there, and he says, Take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. It was just dirt, but the presence of God was there, and that place becomes holy. I believe it's a picture of what God wants us to see about our lives, that there's no place that isn't um, where his redemption isn't wanting to break through. When his presence is there, the thing comes, becomes holy. That's amazing. <laughs> If the Spirit of God is there, it's that Spirit that sets something apart. That's what holy means. It means to be set apart for a purpose. For a specific purpose. You know what that purpose is? Redemption. The distinction of holy or set apart is not defined by a place, but it's defined by a person. It's defined by the living God and His Spirit active among you. 
So if His Spirit is in you, wherever you go is in fact holy ground. You guys got that? That's amazing. That will open up doors of opportunity and possibilities in ways you can't and haven't yet imagined. And I want you guys to hear that. I I, I need to hear that. (laughs) Seriously, as a pastor, I can't tell you how many times I, I find myself in a place of saying, now I'm doing the work of God. And now I'm not. Really? So if we're going to embrace the comprehensive nature of this work, we have to begin to realize that everything is a part of and can be a part of his redemptive plan. Every place where his spirit is, is a moment and opportunity for redemption to break through. Second um, Corinthians 4.7 puts it this way. It says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Jars of clay. The most ordinary of things. Literally, dirt and water. Made into a vessel. The treasure, the Spirit of God, His good news, what He is doing on this earth. Our lives, the ordinary things, become the house for that. That's cool. You guys following me? Getting it? Okay. Second thing. Actually, I just want to read this quote real quick um, from John Foreman. He's, the, um, he's an artist. He, he's the lead singer of Switchfoot, among other things. And a while back, he was asked this question. Um, uh, you know, did he consider his, his music Christian? And he kind of got upset. He says, to be honest, this question grieves me. Does C.S. Lewis or J.R. Tolkien mention Christ in any of their fictional series? Or is Bach sonatas, are they Christian? What is more Christ-like, feeding the poor, making furniture, cleaning bathrooms, or painting a sunset? Probably cleaning bathrooms, I would say. That's pretty, that's, that's being a servant. And we know Christ was a servant, so cleaning bathrooms, definitely. But probably all of these, right? There's a schism, he says, between the sacred and the secular in our modern minds. The view that a pastor is more Christian than a girls' volleyball coach or a student at Hopkins. He didn't say that. I put that in there, okay? (laughs) Is flawed and heretical. Flawed and heretical. The stance that a worship leader is more spiritual than a janitor is condescending and flawed. And I want to say, if the Spirit of the Lord is there, then it is set apart. And if you've received Him, then your life as a whole has been set apart. And He is longing to break through, through you, to bring redemption, to bring reconciliation. I think about the ministry of Jesus, for example. Okay? Um, Jesus, you know, He only had three years of official ministry. Well, I got rid of that. Official ministry. What was He doing before that? Seriously. I mean, here's the Son of God on earth. We're thinking, you could have gotten a lot more accomplished if you started, you know, like when you were 13. Seriously, I mean, think about that. Wouldn't that have been, that's how I would have done it. Say, hey, get out there. (laughs) Start healing some people. Start opening some blind eyes. 
But there he was till he was 30. And I want to ask a question. Was, was Jesus' life before his official ministry any less sacred, any less significant? You want me to give you the answer? I think the answer is no. I think the answer is no. When he, when he was making furniture as a carpenter, wow, he was probably making some beautiful furniture. <laughs> and I bet God was just like, this is good. <laughs> yes. But actually, in the middle of all that time, do you realize that if Jesus um, hadn't lived out the simple act of obedience, then the cross and everything that he did in his ministry doesn't matter? And so what seems so ordinary, like just obeying his parents, listening to them, um, doing the, the, the things that God asked of him as a worker, though all of those things would seem so ordinary, seem so inconsequential, in fact, were very significant and pivotal to everything that he did. And the same is with your life. Do not underestimate. Do not underestimate what God wants to use. The second way I think we um, underestimate God is, is that we assume that things are too far gone for him. If the first way is we look at areas and say, God is not in that, the second way that we underestimate this comprehensive work that he's wanting to do is, is we think that things are too far gone for him. We look at people. You ever done this? You don't have to raise your hand. You, I, I, I know some of us have. I have. I'll raise my hand. We, we might find ourselves in a place and we look at somebody and we say, man, there's just no hope for that person. Maybe it's right after they just really ticked you off. And you think, there is no hope for that person. They're, they're just too far gone. In that moment, you've underestimated the comprehensive work of God. I mean, we read stories in Scripture about it all the time where God shows up in an amazing way in an unexpected uh, event through a life that looked unredeemable. I mean, half of the New Testament was written by a guy who was killing Christians before God touched his life. His name is Paul. And so if we look at things and we say they're too far gone for God, we've underestimated the redemptive work that he is doing. And I think one of the ways that we can see whether that's actually happening in our lives is when we find ourselves in a place where we become hopeless about someone or something when we find ourselves despairing about a situation or a person or, in fact, maybe it's your past. Maybe it's something that has already happened and you can't see how that thing could ever be made right. And I want to declare to you today that the comprehensive nature of God's work says that it can be. Some of you, you're coming into the room even with baggage that you wish would just go away. Things that you feel like will never change, either in your own life or in your family, in your relationships with people. And I want to say that the, the redemptive work of God says that they can. It says that things can be different, that things can change, that there's in fact nothing beyond His reach. 
I believe some of you just really need to hear that today for your own life. Before you can even start thinking about the people around you or this campus, what God wants to do here. So I want to ask two questions as we sort of wrap up. And the first is, is there something in your life that you've deemed too ordinary for God? Too mundane, too insignificant for him to work in or redeem? And the second question, is there an area of your life that maybe you've written off God in because it looks too far gone, too broken, too messed up? I believe we don't have to look any further than the cross to realize that there is, in fact, nothing too ordinary or too broken for God to redeem and to reconcile to himself. Let's, um, let's pray. This is the good news today. It's not stuck on a paper. It's not stuck in a song. It's a person. It's Jesus. And as sure as we sing that he is alive, The good news today is that he's breaking through. He's breaking through. He is redeeming. He's redeeming lives that have been broken. He's redeeming thought patterns. He's redeeming whole sections of our world. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for the comprehensive nature of what you've done, of who you are, of just how far love goes. And in fact, how much love accomplishes. Lord, I pray right now in this place, God, that you would would remove the roof, God, our expectations for you. God, that you would remove the boxes and the boundaries, God, of who we thought you were or how we thought you could work. And God, I pray today for a hope to rise in this place. A hope to rise that says, in fact, you are capable of doing the impossible. And in fact, there is nothing impossible through your love. Through your work. God, I pray for the hearts right now in this room who who maybe for the first time have yet and need to say yes to your redemptive work. I maybe written you off already, goddess. Something comfortable, something religious, something to do on a Sunday. God, I pray right now, even by your spirit, that you would reveal 
the magnitude of your love, the comprehensive nature of your love. Lord, right now that you would begin to break down the walls, God, break down the divide that even we've set up in our own hearts and in our minds about who you are, about what you want with us, about what you're capable of. God, I pray, Lord, for forgiveness to break through as surely as you're here. I thank you that it's been freely given through the Son and that all we have to do is receive it. All we have to do is say, yes, Lord, I'm willing. Would you have your way? If you've never said yes to him today, I pray that you would. I pray that you would say, God, I want this comprehensive work to take root in my life. And I believe you can redeem it. I believe you can repair the brokenness. I believe you can overcome my doubts. I believe you can restore the places that have been ruined by despair and hopelessness. As surely as you're speaking today, as surely as you're here, have your way. And Lord, I pray for your church. God, I pray as a people, Lord, I pray hope would rise. Lord, I pray we look on the wonder of your cross anew right now. And God, we would be filled with awe. We would be filled with awe, God. Forgive us for the ways we've underestimated you, God. God, I pray for faith to rise. Faith to rise. I pray for faith to rise for what's possible through your people. I pray for a faith to rise in regards to what's possible through these simple vessels that you have chosen to inhabit and to dwell in and to bring the living presence, your living presence, the same presence that rose the sun from the grave. It sounds impossible, but you have declared it possible and you have chosen us for that work, God. So would we, will we not underestimate you any longer? Open our eyes, God. I just want to take a minute and you just speak to him where you are. Just confess anything that, that maybe you need to um, hand over, that you need to give up ways, uh, boundaries that you need to let him break down and remove. through and through God.